0: at butcherbox.com slash morningcup and use code morningcup to choose your free-for-a-year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. Let's face it, money is the one subject we all need to deal with, but no one actually wants to talk about. The good news is there's a podcast helping you learn everything about money no one taught you. Meet Everyone's Talking Money, hosted by me, Shauna Game. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money and just helps you get in a better relationship with your No matter what your goals are, do yourself a favor and subscribe to everyone's Talkin' Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... The holidays are a time for love and family. Not a time for mystery and devastation. On December 23rd, 1974, three young girls went out Christmas shopping and were never seen again. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. On December 23rd, 1974, just a little bit before noon, Mary Rachel Trilica, Lisa Renee Wilson, and Julie Ann Mosley got into a car and drove to the Seminary South Shopping Center in Fort Worth, Texas to get some last-minute Christmas shopping done. The oldest of the group, Mary, who everyone called Rachel, was just 17 years old and had gotten married just six months before. Lisa, who went by Renee, was just 14, and Julie, the little sister of Renee's boyfriend, was only nine, when tragically they became known throughout the world as the Fort Worth missing trio. You see, after Julie begged to go with the pair of friends because she, quote, didn't want to spend the day alone, and having gotten permission from her working mother with the promise to be home at six, all three set off in a 1972 Oldsmobile 98 with plans to return by four so Renee could get ready for a Christmas party. After first stopping at a surplus store to pick up some layaway items for Renee, they arrived at the shopping center and were seen walking around and looking at what the stores had to offer. But then six o'clock rolled around and calling each other to confirm their worries, the families went to the shopping center and found that the Oldsmobile was still parked in the Sears upper level parking lot. Finding it filled with newly purchased Christmas gifts, the families thought that they must have at some point returned to the car and dropped it all off. So... They sat and waited, and waited, and waited. After paging each store in the center, walking to each to search, calling all the hospitals, and waiting overnight to see if they came back for the car, with Renee's father and a neighbor standing on top of a nearby building, armed and standing watch over the Oldsmobile, the police were called and all three girls were reported missing. Pretty much immediately, the police handed the case over to the Youth Division of the Fort Worth Police Department's Missing Person Bureau, and a full-fledged investigation began. Presumed from the beginning to be runaways, things got tense for the families when, the very next day, Tommy Trilica, Rachel's new husband, received a letter that everyone believed was written by his wife. It read, I know I'm going to catch it, but we had to get away. We're going to Houston. See you in about a week. The car is in Sears' upper lot. Love, Rachel. Though the letter itself was written with ink on a sheet of paper wider than the envelope, the letter was addressed to Thomas A. Trillica instead of the more informal Tommy and written in pencil with Rachel's name in the upper left-hand corner a name that was, from the looks of it, initially misspelled, with the L written as a lowercase e before being corrected. The postmark did not contain a city and instead only had a blurred zip code from either Eliasville or Weatherford that looked as though it was applied with a hand-loaded stamp. Despite attempts from handwriting experts all across the nation, including within the FBI, No one has yielded conclusive results when it comes to this strange letter, but both Tommy and Rachel's mother, the people who knew her best, believe it was not written by her hand or that she was forced. The letter to this day remains the only piece of physical evidence police have in the case. And when DNA progressed, it was tested but yielded no results. Though police remained steadfast that the girls ran away, the families were adamant that none would do such a thing, especially so close to Christmas. Unfortunately, their cries fell on deaf ears, and the case, due to this distinction, was not investigated as thoroughly as it should have been in the first years of the missing trio's disappearance. The car was not processed for evidence, nor was it dusted for fingerprints. The family, unwilling to give up, continued their own search for the girls and began distributing missing persons flyers throughout the state and contacting newspapers all throughout the country. Tips started to flow in and witnesses began coming forward. Like the young man who reported in early 1975 that he was an acquaintance of Rachel's and saw all three girls in the record department of a store in the mall just before they disappeared. He said that he and Rachel even saw one another, speaking momentarily and that he noticed another person that appeared to be with the girls. This was around the same time that some woman's clothing was found in Justin, but after testing and showing it to the families, it was determined that none of it belonged to the missing girls. There was also a store clerk who came forward who claimed a woman told her that she saw the girls at the mall that day being forced into a yellow pickup truck near the grocery store. She said the truck had lights on top of it, But the witness, when police went to speak with her themselves, could not be located. Frustrated by the lack of progress, the families decided to hire a private detective named John Swaim, and in August of 1975, he found that a 28-year-old man who worked for a local store where Rachel had, just before her disappearance, applied for a job, was making obscene phone calls throughout the area. Using his position to get the contact information of young women who either applied for a job or were listed as references, he called six women. And digging deeper, the investigator learned that the man had once lived in the same neighborhood where Rachel's parents resided. Though all of this seemed like a viable connection between him and at least Rachel Trillica, nothing came of this lead. That same year, John, with the help of about 100 volunteers, searched under local bridges after receiving a tip that the girls had been killed and dumped off of a bridge. A year later, a set of three skeletons were found in a field in Brazoria County, and though hopes began to grow that the case might finally come to a close, when tested through dental records, they learned that the remains belonged to a teenage boy and two females not the Fort Worth missing trio. In March of 1976, a psychic called one of the families, saying the girls would be found near an oil well, and though they took the tip seriously, nothing was ever found. In 1979, John Swaim died from a drug overdose, and upon his death, all his files on the case were destroyed on his order. While the private investigation came to a sudden stop, the families reeling, the police investigation continued and in the spring of 1981, they were called back to Brazoria County where another set of remains were found. Again, the remains found did not belong to Rachel, Renee, or Julie. That same year, a man came forward claiming to be in the parking lot the day of the disappearance and saw a man forcing a girl into his van. When he tried to see what was going on, the man told him that it was a family dispute and to stay out of it. Then in 1999, Rusty, Rachel's brother, contacted another private investigator, Dan James, to ask for his help. The pair looked into several past witnesses, as well as those who claimed to see both Rachel and Renee at stores and gas stations in the day following their disappearance. Some even claim that Rachel was seen in Fort Worth during a few Christmas seasons. Both Rusty and Dan believe that Renee and Julie are deceased, but they hold out hopes that... Due to the claims, Rachel might still be alive. That December, Dan offered a $25,000 reward for information and sponsored, with the help of others, a website that offers updates and information regarding the case. He has, since joining the search for Rachel Trillica, Renee Wilson, and Julie Mosley, received death threats and warnings to remove himself from the investigation. The next update came in January of 2001, When police reopened the case and assigned Tom Bocher, a homicide director, who states in his opinion that the girls left the shopping center that day with someone that they must have trusted. Believing the case involved more than one assailant, that April a press conference was held in which they said that at least 20 individuals were interviewed and that they had narrowed down the suspect list to just five names. That same month, a former Fort Worth policeman and former security guard at the Seminary South Sears outlet came to KXAS NBC5 and claimed to have seen all three girls the day of the disappearance in the company of a young male security guard. Riding in his pickup truck, claiming he saw them at around 11.30 p.m., he said that they seemed relaxed, were laughing and talking, and seemed to have willingly been in the company of this mystery man. He claimed he contacted the police just a few days after the disappearance went public, but that investigators failed to follow up until April of 2001. When asked by the media, investigators said that they located the young security guard, but that he denied the girls were in his truck that night. In 2018, two cars were pulled out of Benbrook Lake. Neither yielded any results. And over the next few decades, the searchers have frequently combed the areas throughout Texas in connection to the case, but have always come up empty-handed. Despite the thousands of leads, hundreds of interviews, and lists of suspects, the Fort Worth missing trio remains exactly that, missing. The last real solid lead was back in 2001, when police collected DNA, but due to the active nature of the case, the results were never revealed to the public. It is in their belief, though, that the girls were met with foul play, and left the shopping center that day with someone they knew and trusted. Some even point a finger at Rachel's sister, Deborah, who, despite being engaged to Tommy at some point and calling it off, still lived with the married couple. Some believe she knows more than she is letting on, but she maintains that she knows nothing. The families have, over the years, lost members and loved ones, but still, without fail, fight to try and find out what exactly happened to Mary Rachel Trilica, Lisa Renee Wilson, and Julie Ann Mosley. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to It Terrible Thing Happened on December 24th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, be safe.